Hello, it is Sunday, August 9th. I am Trent Ryansmith, and it is time for a another edition of the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. The first subject today is a surprise, sort of. Uh, Ronda Rousey responded to a tweet from Derek Brunson, where Brunson wrote, uh, Edmund Traverdian was the head coach for Ronda Rousey, who was one of the most dominant athletes on the planet, and got a 20-year-old middleweight who he coached from youth to the UFC, who won several fights before finally losing. Give the man some respect. Sounds like a good coach to me. Uh, and he's the middleweight he is referring to is the middleweight he just beat. This is Edmund Shabazian. And... Rousey responded, thank you, Derek Brunson. Congrats on your well-deserved victory, and thank you for teaching Edmund Shabazian lessons he needed to learn to become a champion. And this was one of the the big concerns I had with Shabazian's camp following his loss to Brunson, which was his first career loss. We all know how poorly Rousey handled her first loss and her second loss. And so there was some concern there that Rousey and the camp wouldn't be so uh, understanding, probably is the best word, with Shabazian losing a fight. And I wanted to see how they would come out of that and how they would handle the loss because the, the camp did not handle Rousey's loss as well at all. So this is a good sign. Um, maybe Rousey is has matured some. Maybe she sees the bigger picture because Shabazzian's young and she's his manager. Whatever the case, this was a, a positive development and a good first step towards seeing how Rousey's going to handle this young man's career. He learned a lesson, and so at least Rousey is paying lip service to the idea that win or learn, which he learned, and he, he, he there was a lot to take away from that fight for uh, Shabazi and his camp, a lot to work with. So the next step is going to see how his coach deals with it. Rousey's going to put the positive spin on it, and that's cool. But if Shabazzian's coach and his training partners and his team in the gym don't respond as well or as positively or see the lessons that they, they should take away from the fight, then Shabazzian's going to be lost. So this is a big test for a team that hasn't showed us that it knows how to respond to a, a, a loss as of yet. So if they can focus their efforts on improving what needs to be improved, and it's not like it's little tweaks. There's a lot to work on. So the big picture is that Shabazzian's not fully developed yet. He's got a lot to learn. The Brunson fight should have taught him and his team a huge lesson and so if he comes out in his next fight just throwing bombs and looking to end the fight as quickly as possible and throwing everything a 100 percent 
we know that his his coaching team has failed him. And if that's the case, Shabazian needs to get out of there as soon as possible because if you can't adjust that part of the game, then then you're not going to be able to adjust the, the more intricate parts of the game. So this this is going to be a big, big test for Shabazian's coaching team. And I know he's been with them f- since he was a kid, and I know Rousey has been with them for a while too, but if if your coach is hindering your development, when you have the amount of raw talent that Shabazian has, you have to look big picture. And if if there's not no help there, move on, move on because the money in UFC is not good until you reach the top. And if your coach isn't helping you to reach the top, you're not going to do it. And so he. He needs to see that if, if his coaches fail him going into his next fight. It won't be hard to see, and that's the thing. It will not be hard to see. So, and if that makes it makes him have to split with Rousey as well, so be it. Um, there's not really room for people that are dragging you down in a sport that has such a, a short career, uh, average career time. And also, where mistakes can cost you your long-term health. So Shabazian is in a spot now where his coaches need to help him. Anything short of that, they're hurting him, and he needs to move on. Now, Rousey has the right attitude, at least judging by this tweet. So we'll see what happens. But we should all be very interested in to see see what um, Edward... Edmund Shabazian does next the next time he steps into the octagon so I was curious and so I looked up the USADA testing results and testing history today and I discovered that Conor McGregor has not been tested by USADA in quarter two or quarter three of 2020 only in quarter one and that leads me to speculate perhaps that McGregor is actually retired it would kind of shock me if McGregor was retired but it would also shock me that they would only test him twice in 2020 and both times in the first quarter because looking at McGregor's past numbers, in 2015, he was tested eight times, 2016, 11, 2017, 17, and that was a combination of boxing and MMA for 2017, 2018, 11, and 2019, seven tests. So 2020 at two, and we're more than halfway through the year. That's uh, far less than average for Conor McGregor. And now we are in a the global pandemic so maybe that has something to do with it and this is just total speculation on my part obviously but the numbers kind of indicate that Conor McGregor might actually be retired I'm pro- I, 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 I think I'm wrong I think I'm reading too much into that but 
there's a chance. There is a chance. So, just judging by the numbers, and it's just something to keep an eye on. We are in the third quarter, and um, he's not going to fight in 2020 for Dana White, and probably because there's no gate to be had. So, if you know you're not going to fight in 2020, why not? And you don't want to bother being tested. Why not take yourself out of the pool, and then when you know you're going to be maybe possibly fight again you got six months to uh, put you get you get back in the pool and then you just have to be available for testing for six months before you can fight again and someone like conor mcgregor who has the means to do that financially why not if you don't want to fight or you're not gonna fight and you know you're not gonna fight take yourself out of the pool you don't have to worry about uh, updating your whereabouts. You don't have to worry about USADA knocking on your door. You don't have to worry about any of that BS. You just live your life, and then when you feel like you're ready to get back in there, you uh, you get back. You you put your name back in. You, you put up with six months of testing, and then you fight. And like I said, someone like this is this works for someone like McGregor. It doesn't work for someone who doesn't have the financial means to fight when they want to. But if the drug testing is just a headache for many reasons, take yourself out of it. I understand that. So maybe that's what happened. But again, I'm, I might be reading a lot, lot, lot into this. But, you know, sometimes it's fun to speculate. And I don't want to start rumors or anything, but those are just what the numbers show. We don't know much about the UFC's new deal with Venom. But we do know that the fighters were very unhappy with the deal they had with Reebok. And so if the UFC was wise on on many levels, they would invi- involve fighters with this deal and with how things are worked. Um, one of the things that the fighters could benefit from is a much clearer accounting for when they get paid off the uh, off their fight kits and their t-shirts we know Sean O'Malley said he sold a ridiculous amount of Reebok gear and was paid uh, pennies on the dollar uh, and that made him led him to strike out on his own and, and launch his own line of clothing and that doesn't help the the UFC or their or their partners and we all know the UFC wants to get a piece of anything they can as far as revenue and so if they can keep that in in house and deal well between the fighters and the outfitter why not do that because sooner or later these fighters are all going to start doing what O'Malley is doing if they're not going to get a cut, well, what's going to stop them from the popular fighters striking out on their own and, and, and making their own deals with someone who can manufacture their shirts or fighters who are a little less popular but still want to be involved with this going to uh, something like a, a cotton bureau and a print on demand where the profits won't be as high as doing it on your own but there'll be less headaches and 
still more money than than the outfitter will be paying the fighters and for what they make for competing any kind of profit is better than than what the uh, what they're currently getting from from the outfitting deal and so if the UFC was smart they would look at these numbers and get the fighters involved and make make a better deal here for the fighters it looks not only does it look good it probably tamps down some discontent and makes the fighters happier with the promotion so that would be number one I would do number two is I would involve the the fighters in the actual planning from the start with the fight kits and I we we know what Reebok did when it rolled out and the rollout was a disaster there was two colors available black and white the names were spelled wrong on on some big name fighters kits they just they Reebok didn't look like they had a handle on it at all and it really set a bad tone now Venom being in the MMA space already has an advantage there but they're still their own brand and if they don't work with the fighters there's going to be some friction there's always going to be friction because the fighters aren't having much of a say in it if if it's the same kind of deal as Reebok had actually they would have no say in it but if you involve the fighters from the get-go and and ask them what do they want in in the in the in the fight kits and not just in design but in material and fit and cut and then in, involve them from the get-go they will be much happier with the product as well so if you you have that kind of relationship from the start it makes things much smoother and we know the fighters really didn't like the Reebok deal on multiple fronts and and many of these things can be can be hashed out if only the UFC involves the fighters with everything but we know that is probably not going to happen at least not to the extent that it should if it if it even does happen I mean simply something like getting a camo print shouldn't be that big of a deal and now Reebok probably didn't want to do that because it knew it was not going to renew its option with the UFC. And so if, if you're kind of a lame duck there, why, why do anything for, for something that's not going to really get you a long-term profit? But now Venom will be involved with this for a certain amount of years. And if, if it's short-term and they do their best to work with the fighters maybe that carries some weight when it's time for a renewal and the and the fighters are happy with the deal they'll the UFC will re-up with with Venom and, and and maybe that plays a small part because we know the UFC's biggest concern when it comes to these things is not fighter happiness and fighters being okay with the with the product it's money for the UFC strictly money but if you can make the fighters happy maybe the fighters go to bat for the the company with the outfitter and that and that plays a role maybe not but you know 
if I was if I was Venom, I would reach out to the fighters, and if I was the UFC, I would also try and involve the fighters because it just makes everything much smoother uh, from the start. They know they they have to know how poorly they handled the Reebok deal, so there's nothing but improvement can be made here if they try something different. But Dana White always thinks he knows best, and he probably thinks the Reebok deal was great just because the UFC profited so much from it and the UFC fighters got so little out of it. So if it's based on money alone, the fighters will be left out in the cold. They'll take what they get and that'll be it, which is kind of the UFC's business practice at this point, isn't it? During uh, UFC on ESPN Plus, 32 or UFC Vegas 6 or UFC Lewis vs. Olenek or whatever you want to call it. The co-main event was Chris Weidman and uh, Omari Akhmedov. And, and during that fight, I tweeted out that the worst thing that could happen to Chris Weidman was a, a, a win, perhaps. And I meant that because he just hasn't looked himself and he's lost... Uh, the majority of his la- his fights in the last few years, and I I just I don't like I just don't like seeing fighters that are diminished and not and I mean that in their in their in their fighting style and their capabilities, and it happens to everyone, and that's that's the game. Father Time is uh, undefeated, as they say. And so he won. It was a sloppy fight. It wasn't a good fight, but he did get the win, and he needed that win. And he seemed to be torn about it. Um, he, he seemed very aware that it was not the fight that he wanted to have. So he, was, so he came across as happy with the win, but not happy with the performance. And then I think it, it, it kind of... He tried to push the performance back a little bit and tell himself that he was back in the mix at middleweight. And from what I saw in the fight, I don't think that's true. But if the performance was his, was if he knows his performance was bad, and and he knows he can do better, maybe give him another fight with someone that's in that same range as Akhmedov or still out of the top 15 to see what what Weidman can do. I don't know, but what really made me feel uh, a little conflicted about the whole thing was his post-fight interview with Megan O'Leavy where you you got an excellent sense of just what that fight meant to Chris Weidman and, and not just him, but his family I think and it was it was a good reminder of what these what these people go through as professional fighters it's just them in that cage or in that ring and I know it's easy to say this fighter that fighter's washed up this fighter that fighter shouldn't do it anymore but if that's all you've known for 
most of your life. And with Weidman being a wrestler, I'm going to assume that's all he's known for most of his life because that's kind of what wrestling does. It it it, it consumes you from a, a very young age until you know you're in your 30s or in your 40s, like in the case of Daniel Cormier, and that's all you know. And so it's sometimes hard to step away from that when you somewhat know that you're not the same wrestler or fighter that you were before, but you also know that this is something you love to do. So I want to play the interview and just to uh, get that express, let 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 you hear what Weidman expressed after the uh, after the fight. You know, uh, I guess sometimes it's not the way you expect it to be, but you gotta keep grinding through. And uh, I guess that's what I did, but. I'm not too happy with that performance. I'm happy to get a W, but um, it wasn't what I expected. And uh, so I'm just a little bummed out. Um, but at the same time, it could be way worse. What were your expectations and what changed inside the octagon? Just a way cleaner fight, you know. Um, uh, you know, I wanted to stay relaxed, have fun, and keep him at the end, uh, end of my punches, get to his legs, get him tired. Uh... The takedowns were super sloppy. It was every time I got to his legs, I was kind of like a little off on the angle for my finishes. Everything just kind of felt like a little off. Um, and uh, so it became like a little bit of a sloppy fight. And, uh, you know, I had to find a way to uh, maintain control and get the W. But, you know, he, you know, he is a really tough guy. He's on a six-fight win streak or six fights he hasn't been beaten. So, you know... I know I keep going back and forth on being upset, but also happy and grateful at the same time. Well, you came out <clears throat> victorious. And Chris, I mean, did you feel like going into that third round, it all came down to those last five minutes? Yeah, I knew. I knew Longo was screaming at me, like, let's want this. You got five minutes. Let's go. And I knew, man, I, I, I put myself in those positions a million times from wrestling my whole life till, to all my all my fights. And before you know it, in a blink of an eye, you're in that scenario, and it's go time. And you never feel like 100% um, prepared for it. Um, but that's the moment where you have to dig deep. And you were able to do that. Chris, I know that you have three uh, very happy little faces waiting mm. to greet you when you return home and your wife, oh. Marivi. Uh, you've got a big move planned, so I know that you've got some of your summer, or the rest of your summer, I should say, really planned out. But in terms of what happens next, I mean, what do you envision, Chris? Uh, well, first off, I, I, thanks for bringing them up. I just want to give a shout-out to my my kids, Cassidy, uh, CJ, and Colton. I love you guys. Uh, I know Grandma and Grandpa probably didn't let you watch the fight, <laughs> <laughs> but you'll see this on the replay. Um, I love you guys so much, and you motivate me. Uh, so much. So thankful for my wife. Here I go. I'm crying for always being there for me, the ups and downs. And we got through it. Um, I'm really looking forward to the future. I feel like I have a, a new start here at middleweight, and uh, I'm really excited about it. It just wasn't the most, uh, wasn't the fight I 100% envisioned, but it's all good. It is all good because you got your hand raised there, Chris. Uh, we are thankful you took some time to come chat with us. We look forward to your next performance, and best of luck to you with that move. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. So, yeah, there was a lot of relief in those words, a lot of emotion. He got choked up. Um, so, 
while I would ra- I would rather not see Weidman fight on, I, w- I kind of changed my mind after uh, after that after that interview and but I don't I just hope the UFC doesn't do what it sometimes does with with these folks these these ex champs and basically use them for uh, cannon fodder for the uh, up and comers like like it did with uh, Faber and Petter Jan I don't think I mean I understand why it's sometimes necessary to do that so I, I guess I'm just torn on all this I know this sport is just a, a, a thankless sport and when when your time has come your time has come but I think we need to understand that these folks are are real people with real hopes and dreams and even if they've achieved they've reached the top of the game there'll be a time when they fade out and it's it's going to be tough for everyone um but especially for them and I think that's what I think that might be the spot where Chris Weidman is in so we'll see what happens with the matchmaking and how he comes out of the next fight because there obviously is going to be a next fight for Chris Weidman and um, it's going to be interesting and hopefully for his sake it'll be more positive than negative and that's going to be it for today I will be back tomorrow and until then stay safe